You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tech moves fast, so keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Bryce. Hi, this is Christy. And this is the Earn and Invest podcast. I've spent an unreasonable amount of time worrying about having enough money to last for retirement. Specifically, thinking about William Bangan and the Trinity study in regards to safe withdrawal rates. You know, 4% withdrawals inflation adjusted should last about 30 years. The problem is that for financial independence retire early, the time horizon may be as long as 40 or 50 years. This was really concerning to me till I remember that I just turned 50 years old and actually 30 years is a reasonable estimate. This is not the case for my guests today, however. They retired in their 20s nearly a decade ago and a lot has changed since then. Today we check back in their lives and finances. Bryce and Christy, the powerhouse couple who created the blog Millennial Revolution, they are the authors of Quit Like a Millionaire and are considered some of Canada's youngest early retirees. Bryce and Christy, welcome back to Earn and Invest. So first and foremost, Bryce, there's been a new arrival. I've noticed that on the video today, there's three people instead of two. Yes, this is uh, this, this is our first international trip with our, our, our son. He's extra special and extra cute. Everything has basically just changed, like, just when we were kind of just like, getting into the groove of retirement and being like, okay, this is just how things are going to be. Then all of a sudden, this little guy comes in and throws a monkey wrench into things. So far, it's actually worked. It's actually been surprisingly fun, actually. I, we've been enjoying having this little guy around quite a bit. Christy, how old is your son? Because I know in when you are going through it and it's your child, every month feels like a year. But when it's one of your friend's children time flies quickly. So has it been a full year yet? No, he's only four months old. And everybody says like, you got to enjoy when before the age of two, because you just blink and it's all gone. I'm like, not really. It's actually (laughs) pretty slow. I'm enjoying it a lot. There are some days when all three of us are sick and it just feels like an hour feels like an entire year. So there are those days, but Generally, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it a lot, and uh, it's it's parenthood has been so very surprising but enjoyable. Bryce, now let's talk about financial independence. Here was having kids built in or baked into your financial independence plan when you guys started ten years ago. No, not at all. Um, I I don't think either of us really had an intention uh, of having kids, so we didn't really plan for it. I guess. Um, and quite the opposite. I, I had all this child childhood trauma that I had to get through. So yeah, so it just it yeah this this did not we did not make this decision until much later. Yeah, and we didn't really like we didn't really. It was only like in the past like 
couple years, like really during the pandemic, when we were kind of trapped back in uh, Canada and unable to travel, that I guess we were forced to kind of do the inner work to kind of work on, especially Christy's kind of tortured relationship with her parents and therefore tortured relationship with the idea of having kids. And uh, so a lot of that got resolved over a lot of meditation and also quarantining, which is uh, a form of involuntary meditation. And so we only really st- recently got comfortable with the idea. And even when we found out that she was pregnant, I, you know, as with every new parent, we were like kind of freaking out and going like, can we actually do this? But then I have to, rem- but then I have to pinch myself and kind of remember, yeah, but neither of us have to work. And that usually helps everything. You know, every problem is easier when you have two people on board and a million dollars, right? Like that, 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 that makes every, that makes every problem, like that makes almost any problem easier. So we kind of like had to like use that to kind of remember, remind ourselves of that and to calm ourselves down a little bit. And, uh, but at the same time going through that, uh, going through that period is when I was also dealing with uh, my dad being sick. So there was a lot of kind of mixed emotions going through that through last year. So yeah, 2023 was quite a, quite a tumultuous year for us, but hopefully 2024, things are going to like settle down. I don't want anybody to see the inside of a hospital at all this year. That would be super duper swell. Please and thank you. Um, that's what I'm hoping for. Christy, what Bryce is talking about is is kind of to get where you are today. There was a lot of emotional work, right? You had some things to work out in your family. Bryce had some things to do with family health issues, et cetera. Let's talk about the other side, which is the financial work. Did you find that you had to really work through the finances? You're like, okay, maybe I'm ready to have kids. And now all of a sudden I'm pregnant. Did you have to look back at your financial plan and recalculate and readjust? Or was it something you more took in stride? I think what helped a lot was actually leaving my job and then meeting people from other communities who have kids that think of finances very differently from the circle that I'm from, which is like the tech world, which is like, you know, like 2 million, not enough, need 5 million, need 10 million, need 15 million. Like that group of people very much that like some of them, when they become digital nomads, they save like $20,000 and they're like, off I go. And then we'll just figure it out as we go. So it's complete opposite, right? And you want something in the middle. Like you want to be safe. You don't want to just throw caution to the wind and then just go. But at a certain point, once it's safe enough, it should be fine. Like you shouldn't have to just like be anxious over every single penny and whether it's going to be enough. We will we will figure it out. And also traveling and meeting this other community made me realize that there's other parts of the world where cost of living is much lower like not everybody needs to live in a city that's as expensive as New York or Toronto or LA. There's there's lots of other places in the world. So I think if I had, if this decision was made when we first left, I think it would have been a lot more difficult. Now that we have seen the world and we have seen what it's like to not spend that cost of living and that, that amount of uh, money for rent or buying a house, it made me realize that there's a lot of levers that you can pull in after you uh, retire and after and if you have kids, but you weren't originally planning on it, that I it gave me a lot of peace of mind because I'm not really the same person 10 years like after financial independence versus when I first became FI. So I think even though we didn't plan for it, it was something that came later that we made a decision about later on. I was not stressed about the financial. Yeah, I mean, like when you talk when you talk when we talk to to all of our friends and family about the cost of having kids. The people that were in a working situation, you know, the people with a more normal kind of like living experience, they would just complain about the costs of everything. Oh, like daycare is so expensive. You have to save up for, for private school and you have to do all this kind of stuff. 
But then when I talked to the, the people that I met throughout the years of the FI community, I got a very, very different experience from that. Like I, I called up Brandon from Mad Scientist and I just basically just asked him, hey, is this as bad as everyone tells, says it is? And he goes, maybe, but not for us, right? Like, like he's like, having kids after fire is a completely different experience as having kids before fire because a lot of the really, ex- like kids don't actually eat that much. And especially for if you're breastfeeding, you know, so at one point, like, us and mad scientists were talking about breastfeeding. And, and I was just like, wow, I did not have this on my 2023 bingo cards. And then he started, and he started laughing really hard at that. We were swapping like war stories and like parenting stories. And I kind of, and that's when, and I also, we also talked to like Jeremy from Go Curry Cracker and Jillian from the Montana yeah, Money the, Adventures. Money oh yeah, yeah, uh, Money Adventures. And I realized that the, the, the people that we met, you know, the, the fellow speakers that we talked to at Chautauqua, and when we talked to those people, they were like, oh, yeah, it's not a problem at all. And then everyone else was just kind of like, well, just kill yourself because it's all, da- <laughs> it's all, <downhill laughs> it's all downhill from here. It's like I, I have- haven't slept in, in, in two years and I sleep three hours a night. I'm like, one of them recommended me a, his divorce lawyer. That was that was encouraging. So you know, it's a very different experience before and after FI. I believe and- the words endless agony was also uttered somewhere. Oh, yeah. My old boss, he called he called having kids endless agony. And uh, yeah, that was that was not encouraging at all. <laughs> Chrissy, it's interesting, right? Because we know that people who are not financially independent, right? They are working their nine to five or eight to six, and they're really in the process of accumulating and paying for their kind of difficult lives have very little margin. And whereas we started talking about how, wow, kind of is having kids going to crimp your financial independence lifestyle. It sounds like it's the other way around is that kind of having kids is just a lot easier because you have more margin in your life and you don't have to pay for ease. Like a lot of what we did, especially when we had kids is we were so busy working that we had to pay someone to take care of them. We had to pay maybe to eat out because we got home and we were exhausted and we couldn't cook. It's like you're, you're paying for all these things that maybe someone financially independent actually doesn't need to. Exactly. Yeah, childcare is probably the biggest expense that you're completely eliminating by becoming FI and then having kids later. I think another thing is, yeah, like you said, having the time to optimize. I, I buy a lot of stuff secondhand just because I'm I, I'm thinking like he's just gonna crap and vomit over everything anyway. What's the point of having it brand new and shiny? But then not everybody's gonna have time to do that if they have a full time job that's very demanding. So yes, there's a lot of that convenience and I'll care that is no longer a factor that makes life a lot easier after. I had a, I had a reader uh, recently email me and she lives in Seattle and she was saying like, I don't know how you guys are raising money on, like we were comparing the USDA stats of it costs like a quarter million dollars to raise a kid. And then she goes, and, and then we were finding, oh, that's way too high. Like we are nowhere near that. And then she was saying, that's way too low. I am way overshooting that number. And then when, and then, and then when we kind of broke down where she was spending uh, all of her money, we realized she was spending something like $7,000 a month on childcare, like, and, and then this kind of stuff. And then I'm like, that's more money that I spent on undergrad. Like, and I was being taught, like, and I was actually like learning a skill. Daycare, all they're teaching the kid is, please don't eat this paste, right? Like that's the extent of the, I mean, like, there's probably a little bit more complication to that. I'm oversimplifying a little bit, but they're not learning a skill. They're just being kept alive, right? So, I mean, like the cut and 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 um, when you add it all up, we realize that it, like it, the the just the t- cost of childcare 
was almost like six figures. And it was, uh, it was almost like six figures throughout the year. It was nuts. It was nuts. And I think that, I think that's where a lot of the, the scariness comes from. Uh, a lot of these things, if you can arrange your life in that you don't need these, uh, you don't need these expenses, then actually the actual cost of having a kid is actually really low. We were actually able to fit it basically within our current living expenses. Plus like a little bit of like extra, like, you know, like 150 a, bucks like 250 bucks a month kind of thing. It really wasn't that bad at all. Yeah, and as I'm listening to you, I'm trying to think, well, will that change as your son gets older? But interestingly enough, Christy, a lot of what we end up spending money on, I realize, and again, I'm looking at my own life as the model here, is a lot of times we have to spend money, it's specifically to stick within kind of the traditional go to college, get a nine to five life. So for instance, I realized like with my daughter, we spend a lot on things like SAT prep or my son with a lot of getting tutors and things like that, which are incredibly expensive nowadays. But a lot of that is so that we can kind of fit that predominant model of go to expensive college, get degree, then use that degree to work the nine to five. Talk about kind of the future you foresee for your son. Do you think think that you are going to look at schooling traditionally, or do you think you're going to look at even way down the road at things like the job market traditionally, or do you believe that most likely he'll start the non-traditional kind of FI path that you guys took a while to get to in the first place? I think Matt Fi just suggested the more like the, not to plan anything too much over like, like just like the next year, because I have no idea how this kid, like, I have no idea how this kid is going to react to, for example, world schooling. That like th- like I like the idea of world schooling, but I have no idea how this kid's going to respond to that. I don't know. I- I've never done it before myself. It's an interesting idea, but just just try to get by like one year at a time because any the best laid plans go to waste once you actually like try that try that. I I'm pretty sure, however, that this kid is going to have a very non traditional life because we we are just non traditional people. We don't like. Our entire, our, our entire like adult life, when everyone's like, oh, you've got to do this, our attitude is, oh, really? <laughs> really? Show me the math behind that. And that's basically been our entire like 10-year existence before that, which is bucking the trend of what everyone else is doing. So like we're already kind of bucking the trend of doing that by, you know, by traveling with this kid, even though he's like, he was at only like, you know, three months old at the time, we bundled him onto a plane. And then right now we're talking to you in Mexico rather than, rather than Canada. And we're staying here for like two months, which is already pretty weird. And um, we're, you know, probably going to continue. Tra- we're, we're definitely going to continue traveling. And whatever this kid's life is going to be like, it's going to be pretty. It's going to be pretty non-standard. How, what that life will actually look like, I can't tell you though. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think it's easy to predict what's going to happen. But I will tell you that he's probably going to have an easier time picking a degree than I did because. We just don't have that necessity and that desperation that my parents had, which is like, you better pick something useful because you better not be a burden. I'm not going to be able to support you if you can't get a job after university. Uh, I think this kid will be like, yeah, you want to do something like you want to do something that you 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 think is more fun. It doesn't earn as much money. Yeah, go do it. Whatever. It's it's going to be fine. Like it's not it's going to be coming from uh, a very different place than when I was trying to pick a degree. So from that aspect, I think he's he's quite privileged and he's going to be quite spoiled. <laughs> yeah, that is one thing that worries us. How do we not how do we not, how do we not spoil this kid rotten because right now we don't need to work and he doesn't need to work either, right? So like that like 
right away. Be like mommy and daddy, you didn't do anything. Why do I have to do anything? So that is something that does worry us a little bit. But that's a that's a future problem. Right now, we're just kind of like, it has he crapped his pants late lately? Like that's the <laughs> that, that's our kind of near term concerns. That all that like, how do we keep him from being a spoiled rich kid? That is something that is concerning to us, but it's it's a later problem. <laughs> if you have any tips for that, I'd love to hear it. <laughs> yeah, well, again, my kids grew up with us mostly working up until both of my kids were in high school when I pulled back, but my wife still works. So, so they've seen that. There is this interesting idea of trying to make sure they understand that a lot of work very early in our careers went to being where we are today, that it didn't just all appear out of nowhere, but that we had to build it, even though that they've become cognizant of our lives as teenagers and were already at that place, whereas they didn't, they weren't as cognizant of what it took to build everything. Um, But, you know, the truth of the matter is your kids or your child will see you doing all sorts of industrious things, whether that be book writing or blog writing or all those kind of things you do, and most likely will then realize that, you know, whether we're working for money or not, we're working towards building and creating and doing important things. And so that that kind of I think that ethos will carry through even if you're not stuck being hammered in a nine, nine to five, which you don't like. Yeah, that's true. So you guys have had a lot change, Christy, in the last 10 years. This is your 10-year anniversary. First and foremost, have you now been more years financially independent than you ever worked at your nine-to-fives? Yeah, I think I think this is the year that we crossed that Rubicon. And uh, yeah, it, like in my head, I've always been kind of like, well, if this FI thing doesn't work out, I can always go back to my old job. And now I've started to realize there's a 10 year resume gap now. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> there's no going back. <laughs> I, like, I think that door has been closed to me, but, but at the same time, our net worth has doubled since when we retired. So I'm like, ah, we're probably, we're, we're probably okay. I also think we're going to be completely useless in a job because we're going to be so rebellious. It's like, what, why are you doing it that way? No, I'm not going to do it that way. It's like, I just refuse to. I don't think any employer is going to be okay with that. So Bryce, you said your your basically your net worth has doubled in the ten years that you have not been quote unquote working or at least not receiving a paycheck through a typical W two job. Did right. you ever foresee this? I mean, is God, it like, no. and is this oh, typical? Hell no. I, okay, so when so to your listeners out there, when I say that my net worth doubled, I'd say that okay, if I were to estimate right now, I'd say that maybe like. of that doubling is from investment gains. And, and then the rest is from, I guess the book, like the book blogging income and all the other kind of like side hustles we've been doing since then. So it's a mix of money that we've earned as well as uh, money that we like compounding from our original portfolio. And then there's some of it that's also compounding from money that we've earned as well. So once you, our FI, it really does kind of, and you make even just like a modest income in writing or something like that. Uh, it, it really does, you know, snowball quite, quite fast in the way that I wasn't expecting. But when we were starting off, we, you know, our estimates in our, all of our spreadsheets were like, maybe we'll make $5,000 a year in this whole writing thing, right? That's what we actually estimated. And we thought that that was aggressive. <laughs> so the fact that we, the, the fact that this actually turned into a real career was completely unexpected. It was a very welcome surprise. And to a certain extent, we didn't like we didn't really so much retire and sit on our butts for, for 10 years. We did that for a little bit, maybe at the beginning, but but the 
career that we've uh, has since blossomed into like a really uh, and actually quite successful one was not on was never expected or budgeted at all. So all this was kind of a happy surprise. Just like this little guy. I know that you guys so you guys are big on the yield shield and you had ways of having enough cash flow available so you didn't have to feel like you were actively drawing down. Right. Um but am I correct in saying that you haven't really had to draw down much at all, right? You haven't had to really liquidate stock per se. No, because the yield shield stuff that we talked about in the book and the blog was designed so that in the first five years of retirement, which is when that dreaded sequence of return risk period is happens, it was designed so that you can, you know, you can withdraw the yield and then, you know, use these other tricks like, you know, keeping cash outside in a separate, in a separate account in order to buffer you from having, from having to draw down during the down years. But once you are past the five-year sequence of return risk, all those, and you are you know disciplined and you keep using these strategies, what ends up happening is even without any even without any side hustle income, your original portfolio starts to grow faster and starts to grow faster than you're spending it. And after the five-year period, you basically have said goodbye to the sequence of return risk, and you don't really need to do any of that stuff anymore. So. Because we did that, we it helped us a lot in not having to do anything scary, uh, especially during the first few years of retirement. But after that, it really does become like an endless snowball of money, and then and and then the portfolio just kind of takes care of itself right now. So the stress level of managing this portfolio uh, of managing your money does go down over time. A through because you're, you're more experienced, and B just the math just starts working in your favor to a point where it really doesn't matter anymore. Like you really can't screw up too badly unless you do something really dumb like buy a house <laughs> <laughs> buy a house or have a kid no not to have a kid yeah. buy a house yeah. yeah no 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 having a kid doesn't cost a lot of money but buy a house always costs a lot of money i think i think the passiveness of um how we manage the portfolio and the fact that it gives us steady income is super helpful given that our parents are getting older and now that we have a kid we just don't have time to manage it and um it actually like the the true value of it came to light recently because like Bryce, you had to basically move in and take care of your dad. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So maybe like explain why that was so, why the portfolio being passive was so helpful. Well, yeah. Like, yeah. Pa- like when we say passive income, it is truly passive. Like you rebalance it once at the beginning of the year. Maybe you like adjust it a few times throughout the year and then just, it just kind of works for you. Other investment types like real estate, for example, or Bitcoin or, you know, more speculative stuff, they say it's passive because you don't have to be, you don't have to trudge into work every day. But it's really not, especially for real estate investors. Like I, uh, like you know, I follow. Like sometimes we follow these other bloggers who are trying to do the FI thing with real estate, and then they have a kid, and the experience is very, very different because they're trying to like they're trying to like hold the baby in one hand and like hammer a nail, like like hammer <laughs> stuff in there with with the other, while their love while their like a partner is like painting like trying like trying to paint the room and and it's just it's a very different experience because real estate really is uh quite an active endeavor if you if you just ignore your tenants for like a year they're not going to be like oh here's all the check here's all the rent checks we just did it all for you no they're going to be like you didn't take care of this the the the, the pipe burst here and we're, we're going to take you to court and it becomes like a whole mess like real estate is a very active endeavor but it's sold as a passive one, which I find it is very disingenuous. Um, but so I'm glad that we actually that our passive our passive income strategy truly did turn out to be passive because I really didn't have the mental bandwidth to take care of leaky faucets this year. I really didn't. Like for half of the year, like 
for half the year, half of the year, I was like spending all of my time either at my parents' house or in a hospice or in hospitals and then driving people back and forth to medical appointments. And then our kid was born, right? So it's like, there were just really no, um, like, I, I really couldn't have dealt with tenants, like, you know, cooking meth in the basement on top of all of that. It would, it really would have blown up, literally. I think that's why, like, from our 10-year anniversary of being FI, our biggest takeaway of that whole experience is that we're not trying to maximize our net worth because it's not about, like, we could always stay at work for another 10 years. We could have, like, had a bigger portfolio, right? But the point of life is not to have maximum net worth. It's to maximize the time you spend being healthy. That is the most important thing. So the, the reason why we wanted a passive portfolio and we don't want to maximize it by staying like another 10 years to work is by then, who knows how bad our, our health will be. Like once you, as you get older, there's things that you can't do that you would have been able to do when you're younger. Like when we went and hiked Machu Picchu before having this kid, that was possible when we just turned 40. It will be very difficult once you're, you know, in your 60s trying to do that exact same thing. So you miss out on all these life opportunities that people don't think about when you retire at the regular age of 65. Um, so that's why I, it really hit us in the face last year with my father-in-law's, um, with my father-in-law's cancer and having to take care of him that maximize your time spent being healthy. That's the most important goal in life. Yeah. Cause like, you know, this because you and I talked a lot throughout this, the process of him being sick and thank you for all the support you've given me. So at that time, your medical expertise was very, very helpful. But what my dad got was brain cancer and brain cancer, specifically glioblastomas, are really just there's no risk factors. There's no genetic factors. It really is just like a lightning bolt out of the blue. He, and he was he was a really, really healthy person right up until his, his surprise diagnosis. And the, the really kind of like sucky part of that entire thing was that he was just getting into the the prime of his retirement years. Right. He had stopped working and he like. When he was, when he found out that he had this, he had a, him and my mom had a cruise booked to like, uh, God, I don't even remember anymore, Switzerland or something like that. So they had all these like travel plans and they all got cut off. And the thing is with brain cancer, it, there's no age that there's no, like it could happen to anybody at any age. It could happen to anybody regardless of their fitness level, their diet, you know, like whatever, like I could get it, you could get it, anybody could get it. So when you're healthy and Financially, it makes it you, it's possible for you to retire. It really gives it really gave me this sense of urgency that, you know, when you're healthy, go out and just go out and do it. Like there's no time to waste because you don't know you and I, neither of us know when we're going to die. Right. And if because if we could, we could have planned things a lot better. But nobody knows when you're going to get sick and nobody knows when you're going to die. Um, we have statistics that will kind of help us. But, you know, it that that's only like a rough guideline. And you really can't tell like what could happen, what could happen, you know, it's, it really kind of gave me the, uh, it really kind of made me appreciate the choices that I made 10 years ago, because even if I get brain cancer today, I would have enjoyed 10 years of an awesome retirement. We are talking to Bryson Christie from Millennial Revolution, and we are discussing their 10-year financial independence anniversary. In fact, they've been financially independent just as long as they had traditional nine-to-five careers, and we're discussing how life has changed. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? 
Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R. USA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. I have a confession to make. Money has been stressful to us lately. Look, we are in the midst of a house remodel. We are sending our first kid to college, and everything I thought I knew about budgeting has been out the window. The main savior for us has been Monarch Money. We started using Monarch Money about three months ago. My wife and I have been thinking a lot about our finances and our budget has changed, but we love Monarch Money because it's collaborative. We can both look at this together as well as share it with other people like a financial advisor if we want to. It's really aspirational. We can put information in there about, for instance, our kids' college education or about our remodel. And we can see where we need to go and where we are going. This is the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch Money is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I love about Monarch Money is it's intuitive. It's really easy to sign on and connect all your bank accounts and credit cards. As we said, it's collaborative. It's also customizable. Like We were able to build in exactly what we wanted to do with our kids' college education as well as our home remodel. This is an app that is customer-focused. Really, Monarch Money is looking to make this app useful to you and me and all of us who are aspirational about our money. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners to the show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. We are back with Bryce and Christy. They are the authors of Quit Like a Millionaire and are considered some of Canada's youngest early retirees. And we are talking about how life has changed over the last 10 years of being financially independent. We've discussed that they've had a child. They didn't expect that they would have a son. That is something that's changed over the last 10 years. We've also gone into their finances and this idea that they really don't have to think about their finances nearly as much anymore. They are truly passive. So we're going to jump into some other things that are changing. Let's talk about friendships. How have friendships changed since financial independence over the last 10 years? I found that when you, so this is actually a, a, something that a lot of people are concerned about, that when they retire, they're not going to have any friends. And the reason for that is because a lot of the times, you know, if you think back to where you get, you find your friends is usually in, you know, what do you do? It's, it's people that you meet and are doing the same things that you during the, you know, during the working day. So whether it's when you're in grade school, all your friends come from that. When you're in high school, all your friends come from that. 
And then when you're working, a lot of your friends come through one way or the other through work. And when you're retired, that does go away. I still, we still, con- we, we're still in contact with uh, like one or two of our work friends back from, you know, 10 years ago. But by and large, the friendship groups and our social networks that we now, you know, are privileged, you know, are lucky to call our closest friends all came from the fire space. It all came from the work that we do through the blog, as well as the book. You know, we meet a lot of people through these conferences that we speak at or through readers that we meet up with. So if you are worried about that, it's important. It is important for you to think about what it is that you want to do with your life after retirement. And uh, because that will do two things that will solve the problem of how do you keep from getting bored? And that also gives you your, uh, your social network. And when, uh, when people ask me, yeah, but I don't really know what I want to do with that. I like to tell them, you know, what's something in the world that pisses you off, right? <laughs> like, and maybe it's like, for me, for us, it was kind of like, you, you could probably detect this a little bit. What pissed us off was boomers. <laughs> so we kind of turned that kind of and, and home ownership and home ownership and, and to, yeah and kind of talking down to millennials and saying oh you you know you millennials don't know what you're talking about you don't know what you're doing and we kind of somehow turned that into a career but i know a lot of other people that are you know you know pissed off about you know may, like you know maybe there's maybe there's some political thing that might piss you off there's a few things in politics that are probably piss a lot of people off right now maybe you can do something about that vicky robin i know is p- quite uh, active in like the democratic party and like this kind of stuff as an activist and when you are, and when you volunteer or when you work in a field that is something that you're truly passionate about, uh, you naturally kind of gather people around you who are also passionate about those things and then you become friends that way. So that's kind of how we found the most successful retirees that have that, that managed to solve this problem. That's kind of how they do it. And very international, right? I mean, I think about my own life. Most of my friends had to live around me or work or do what I do. Yep. And since I've transitioned to this lifestyle, I have friends all over the place. Like I'm talking to you guys right now and you're in Canada and, you know, I zoom all the time with my friend who lives now in Spain. And like, yep. you find that, that the geographic closeness is no longer nearly as important. Yeah. 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 Like one of the more interesting friend groups that I have right now are, are fellow FI bloggers. So like when I have like a question or something that I just don't know how to solve, I'll end up like, like asking Hey, you know, JL Collins is hop on a Zoom call, or sometimes I'll ask Pete something, and sometimes I'll ask Matt Fine to something. And the, the and, and uh, the, the interesting thing about that friend group is they really have a perspective that nobody else really nobody else really has because there's very few people who kind of can answer the like who have experience answering the question. How do I keep like I don't need to work, so how do I keep my kid from being spoiled? Like Pete's actually Pete actually has some insightful like advice on that. So that's you know if that's been a really interesting that's been a really interesting experience. Let's talk a little about self development, and I think there are a few different lenses to look at this. But let's start, Christy, with one of yours. It was really after becoming financial independence where it sounds like you came to terms with some of the relationships in your life. You kind of mentioned this idea of having children, right? You had to you had to deal with some of the relationships in your life before you were ready to have a child yourself. This was something that happened maybe only could happen after you were financially independent. Is that fair to say? Oh, absolutely. When I was working, I my relationship with my parents consisted of going to see them on the long weekend and then having to take 2 weeks to recover from having fights with my mom right <laughs> afterwards. And then on top of the 
like busy work schedule that I had. So I really had no time to do any inner work whatsoever, no time to repair relationships. It was just the same thing, like the same vicious cycle over and over again. And it got to a point where whenever Bryce went to work, and people saw that he had like a bottle of vodka hidden under his desk. <laughs> they would ask, "Oh, oh, so going to the in-laws again this weekend, huh?" <laughs> oh my god! Like, yeah, you guessed it. I forgot. I forgot about that. <laughs> so what would happen is, so one, one, one of our, so the experience of going to visit her parents is, is they would be downstairs screaming at each other in Mandarin basically the entire weekend. Well, I, I don't speak. I only I speak Cantonese, so I can't understand what they're saying. I, I, all I know is they're upset about something. Well, I hide up in the room with a bottle of vodka and I just drink <laughs> until the weekend's over. So that's how good times. That was, that was what my, that was what my in-laws were like. The rest of the alcohol to calm me down for the week, like the two weeks afterwards when I decompress and then start complaining the entire time. It was super healthy, Jordan. I cannot emphasize, <laughs> I cannot emphasize how healthy this relationship was. <laughs> so yeah, so it wasn't until after... And like part of the reason why my relationship got better with my parents was I actually had to, I call this the, like, so like I, I was joking about it with my other FI friends and they call it the Christie ghost protocol because I had to ghost my parents for about a year because I actually had to put an ocean between me and my mom in order to fix those problems because she always knew that I was going to come back. So she just, you know, she would just treat me in the same way for the, for many, many years without changing anything and it no matter what kind of boundaries i set it didn't do it, it like she would just treat me exactly the same way and nothing would ever change and it wasn't until after i thought i became fi and then i left and then she actually feared that i would never come back and that i was actually not talking to her anymore and she was getting ghosted that she finally decided to change and because you need two people to fix the relationship you can't just constantly be extending an olive branch and the other person just like crap all over it so that was the point in which that was that that was the turning point in which something finally changed and I, I started to repair my relationship with her but it wasn't until the pandemic in which it, it really got repaired because there was still a lot of like hidden resentments from childhood there was a lot of childhood trauma there was a lot of intergenerational trauma about her childhood that i never even knew about that i asked her because i actually had the time and space to actually work on myself and not be triggered when i asked her questions about her childhood or questions about my past or my childhood that i could actually just take in the information without judgment and without feeling hurt that i was finally able to heal and that was a like one of the biggest reasons why i'm able to um, be a happy parent now because like there's a lot of things you worry about when you had a traumatic childhood that am I going to pass on this intergenerational trauma onto my child and is it responsible for me to have a child if I don't fix myself first and I don't fix this trauma fixing my mom my relationship with my mom was probably one of the best things that came out of financial independence because I don't think we would have this kid otherwise like we wouldn't have made the decision because we would have I, I still would have been very traumatized and we would still go through the, going be going through that song and dance of me going to my parents and having a big fight with my mom, Bryce getting, you know, liver disease because he's drinking too much alcohol <laughs> to try to recover. So that would never have been fixed if I didn't have the time and space to work on myself and then work on my relationship with my mom. So we're talking self-development post-financial independence. The lens we were just talking about it through was through personal relationships. Bryce, let's talk about another lens, which is purpose. You know, it hits me that both of your career, if we want to call it a career as authors, really blossomed with financial independence. Talk about becoming writers, becoming authors, and specifically how purpose changes and you develop it as you are no longer concentrated on the nine to five. 
So the thing about authors is that a lot of people go into the writing industry because they want to be like a famous author. Like, we, and, and this is not just, not just other people. Like we, we did this as well. We initially wanted it to be a writer because we wanted to be like the next JK Rowling because we're like, look how much money she makes and all this kind of stuff. But the difference is when you approach something with purpose, it really kind of flips kind of like how you think about a problem where it becomes less about like, how do I make this work for me versus how do I help other people? And our entire writing career, we were learning how to like write for seven years before we actually retired. And back then we were writing like, you know, vampire slash fic and like, and like YA stuff. At, at one point there were like werewolves and angels and like this kind of stuff. And that never really went anywhere. We learned a lot. We did, we learned a lot. And, about and you did publish a book. I mean, you, you had traditionally book, published yeah. book, which is pretty impressive regardless yeah, of what yeah, happens yeah. with it. We didn't get, so a lot of that was getting to that skill level, but our first book, which was called Little Miss Evil made, I think like total $5,000. So, you know, that accurate, that, that estimate that I, that I had back that, that I said $5,000 a year from running, that's kind of where that came from, but that's not really like a real, you can't really live off of that. All of my, all of our success after in the writing sphere happened because we wanted to help other people. And then that came out of this, you know, annoyance, this anger that we were being talked down to by boomers and saying that like, you know, we were lazy and entitled for, you know, daring to want a job with work-life balance and this kind of thing, right? So that irritation and that anger is kind of where Millennial Revolution came from. The, I mean, like there's literally a video of Christy yelling at old people on the front page of our site. And, and but because of that, because we had that focus, which is we want to help fellow millennials get out of this problem too, that's where, that's where things start to really snowball because writing became less of a, writing became less of a um, activity that we were doing just for the sake of writing and more, it became a vehicle for us to communicate to, to our audience, how we wanted, how we were going to fix the problem and uh, everything kind of, and everything kind of snowballed from there because people you're writing for, you're writing for your audience rather than writing for yourself at that point. So writing one book can be a fluke. Writing two books, especially a very successful one, starts to look like a career. And I'm right in saying that you guys are working now on your third book. Is that true? Yep. So we are writing with a kid is also a very, very different uh, experience because before we would just be like, okay, wake up and then write, 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 write. And we'd have this like word count uh, target and like this kind of stuff. But as you know, when you have a kid, your schedule is kind of not defined by you. It's defined by your, your kid. So we're still trying to figure out like how we're going to do this, but you know we are we are working on our next nonfiction project, and uh, this is going to be and we'll be announcing it on the blog when we are a little bit closer to when to to the publication date. So something is coming, but we are not not disclosing what it is yet. Yeah. Um, so let's look at it from the thousand foot view. First and foremost, anything you would have done differently. So now it's been 10 years. You've mm -hmm. had some time to have some ups and downs. Your life has changed significantly. What would you have changed if you could go back knowing what you know now? Oh, boy. I don't know, man. Our life is pretty dope, I got to say. <laughs> uh, I think, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I, like Everything worked out really, really well. Uh, I'm actually pretty happy with how things uh, went. I think the only thing I would have changed is I would have, I, I would have 
been less anxious at the beginning and 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 gone for this sooner but you know we were like 31 at the time i mean like sooner would have been like you know 2029 20, it's like eh, it, it is kind of like just like picking around at the margins at that point how about I, you i think i would have focused less on the financial part of it because the financial part was actually quite easy and that was the thing i kept focusing on like no matter how many times i checked my spreadsheets i still wasn't convinced and then i asked asked pete to like give his seal of approval and he gave it and still wasn't convinced i think i would have I would have thought of it from you need to actually work on the inner work, like your own anxiety and where does that come from? And how it would have helped me be less anxious because I feel like I shortened my lifespan just by freaking out about, you know, quote unquote, feeling like I'm jumping off a cliff um, because I, I've gone from like, I am my job to the job doesn't exist. So who I who am I? And just focus more on figuring that piece out and figuring and not being so stressed out and not just getting all caught up in the numbers. That's what I would change because I feel like that would have made it a lot more enjoyable and a lot, lot less sleep, sleepless nights. That being said, all that anxiety about the numbers is is also kind of where a lot of the material on the blog came from. Because like, you know, all that yield shield stuff, all, like all that stuff I came up with to assuage Christie's fears of like, <laughs> what, like, how do I make sure like, because like I like. I'm more, I, I'm more of a kind of like an eternal optimist. When I see something that has a 95% chance of success, I go, good enough, let's do it. And then when Christy sees 95%, she goes, 5% chance of failure, no bloody way, right? How do we make that zero? So that's kind of where all that yield shield stuff came from. So me assuaging her anxiety actually actually did, I, I was able to monetize that. So, you know. <laughs> a double-edged sword, I guess. I, I mean, because of the, the, the optimist and the pessimist thing, I also do this when we're traveling. Now that we're traveling with a kid, it's way harder than before. That's like, okay, I have to make a checklist of all the things we need to bring for our kid. We got to have like extra time. When we get there, on the, we got to stay at the airport hotel. We can't just go to the home exchange right away because in case anything goes wrong along the way, I don't want to have to deal with a screaming infant. So it's like the the anxiety helps us have a better. It pays dividends later on because we are having a lot of backup plans just in case those things will go wrong. But it does not help my my <laughs> state of mind at the time because it does cause a lot of unnecessary stress. Do you spend any time anymore? Thinking about the four percent safe withdrawal rate? No, not really, not really. No. At this point, at this point, like the dividends that are coming in are like twenty percent higher than what our current spending is. And when I tell, keep telling Christy, you know, you can spend more money. Chief going, but I don't know what to spend it on. Everything is already exactly the way that I like it to be. This is actually this is actually pretty interesting because it was a recently a post on from Mr. Money Mustache on Peace Blog from when he it was a pretty controversial post actually from when he finally decided to give himself permission to buy that Tesla mm -hmm. that he's been that he's been trying to like justify for the past 10 years. And I kind of realized that all of us fire people have this weird tick in our head about spending money, which is not only do we find it painful to spend money, we kind of enjoy the process of optimizing it, right? Like we don't really find much happiness from just spending money like frivolously. Some people might go, oh, I got a margarita. And then, but like, but like fire people kind of go, I could have made that at home for like 10% of the cost. That was a bloody ripoff. Or I got this free margarita from signing up for this credit card, which I got for this like free resort for an extra day. So it like feels extra good because you, the process of getting it was better than the actual item. Itself. So I, I realized the fire, the, the, the fire bloggers, especially the really successful ones, we kind of have a spending problem, but in the opposite direction of everybody else. We have a problem spending money. 
and and a lot of people like it's interesting because a lot of the commenters that kind of attacked Pete on that blog post were like, "This is frivolous." You said you were the frugality guy, and there's so many people with all these kinds of like problems making ends meet right now. The fact that you're posting this is very like it's it's very what's it called out of touch and like all this kind of stuff. But if you actually read through, if you actually carefully kind of read through that post about like all these different like he he draws all these arrow. It's funny because he draws all these arrow charts about like this is how <laughs> like I this is how I arrange my finances and it looks almost identical to how we arrange our finances. Like okay, the money flows into this bucket and it could theoretically flow back it, it theoretically flow back into spending, but it's probably not going to. And it's going to flow back into investments. And then, and then I'm just kind of like, oh my God, that's exactly what we do. And I realized that him and I both have the same weird psychological quirk, which is we just enjoy saving money more than spending money. It's, it's quite interesting because <laughs> it's the opposite of people who get into debt because there's a technique in which like a personal finance guru will give like a bunch of jars to someone who has trouble reining in their expenses. And then they'll, they'll say like, this jar is for you know housing and this jar is for transportation. And once you use up the money in the jar, there's no more money. You can't get another credit card. You can't get extra money. That is it. For fire people, it's the opposite. It's I, like we have to have a jar that's like fun money. And then we have to be like, you must spend every penny in this jar. And then at the end of the day, I'm like, I spent half of it because yeah. I optimized. And I don't know what to do with the other half. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I literally have to do that. I have to be like, okay, I, there's really no sense in like reinvesting this 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 money at this point because it's unspent dividends. Like it's like it's already way too much. So I have to put it into a checking account and then be like, okay, your job is to find ways of spending this money throughout the year. And at the end of it, it'll be like, there's still money left over. And I'm like, oh, but this makes you very unrelatable to <laughs> the, the general population, which is why you end up losing your work friends because they're like, what? That is the opposite problem that I have. And then every time you tell them about something about your life, they're just like, oh, what awesome things mm -hmm. happen to you now. So it's kind of like, yes, it, it is how the fire community is, but it also makes it extremely unrelate unrelatable. Yep. Well, Bryce and Christy, I wanted to thank you for coming on today. You know, it reminds me that often when we're in planning for becoming financially independent or when we're in planning to leave our jobs, we focus on all the things that could go wrong. But listening after you guys talk about the last 10 years of being financially independent, we forget to think about all the things that can go right or all the ways we can grow and learn. And that actually accelerates when we're not being held down by spending a good chunk of our day doing things that we don't want to do. I want to thank you guys for coming on the show and end this episode the way we end every episode by asking how people can get in touch with you if they want to learn more. Sure. And uh, as always, you can always find us on our blog, www.millennial-revolution.com. And we also have, we've also written a best-selling book called Quit Like a Millionaire, available where all fine books are sold. <laughs> Bryce and Christy, thank you so much for coming on Earn and Invest today. Thank you for having us. It's always a pleasure. That's a wrap. Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. Okay, let me admit something embarrassing to you right here, right now. I am a horrible sleeper. The truth of the matter is I stay up late at night, whether it's hanging out with my wife or watching TV or working on some project, and then I race out of bed at five in the morning, even though I'm exhausted, I get really little sleep. 
And I know it's bad for me. I mean, I'm a doctor, right? I know this idea that we should be getting eight hours of sleep, etc. But the truth of the matter is, I jump out of bed every morning because there is so much to do. I don't want to use the word stressed, but I am full to the hilt. I have all these projects I'm working on, and I get up in the morning because I'm excited to jump into them. So there's no such thing as a weekend for me. There's no such thing as work hours and non-work hours. I'm pretty much go, go, go all the time. But I don't need to be. Like, none of these things do I have to do. The thing that drags me out of bed early in the morning is my excitement to jump into it. And yet I want to do all these projects and still hang out with my family and still read and exercise and watch TV. There is just such an abundance of things to do. Life wasn't always like this. When I was a doctor with a busy practice, I also jumped out of bed every morning. But you know what? I jumped out of bed out of fear, out of anxiety, out of thinking that I had so much to do in my day that I didn't want to do. And the only way I was going to get it done was by leaving at the crack of dawn. I can't tell you how different my life is today. I still have a lack of sleep. I'm still tired on a regular basis. But I'm motivated and driven to get up and do these things because they fulfill me. It feels very purposeful, very exciting. I feel like my life is more full than ever. So here on Earn and Invest, you've heard me speak a lot about purpose lately. And part of that is because I want to build a community of people like me who are jumping out of bed every morning, not because they have to, but because they have all these interesting and exciting projects to work on. I started to earn and invest to talk about financial independence and money, and I still want to talk about those things, but I really feel like we're at the intersection of money and purpose. Not only how to make money and what to do with that money and how to invest it, but also how that money then makes your life better as you use it as a tool to do the things that get you out of bed early in the morning, even when you're tired, because you're so excited. So this is what I'm working on. And almost everything I'm working on has to do with you all, our community, this podcast, and providing exciting projects and content for all of us together. So what am I working on? Well, you guys know the Earn and Invest podcast, two episodes every week at earnandinvest.com. I'm adding on to that. I've started blogging again, a Substack where we're talking about the Purpose Code, my new book, and we're talking about this intersection of purpose and money. That's at earnandinvest.com slash Substack. Again, earnandinvest.com slash Substack. There, I'm writing about the ideas that are going into my book, The Purpose Code, but also taking in everyone's comments from places like Twitter, email, and Facebook, and building a deeper, richer conversation of how money and purpose fit together. Again, that's earnandinvest.com slash substack. Other things I'm working on, the Wealth with Purpose Mastermind. We now are up to 28 people. We meet monthly for a major meeting. We also meet weekly for happy hours. 
This is a chance for community members to come together in a space where they can be accountable, where you're at this place where you're starting to understand your money, and yet maybe you're not happy with your career. Maybe you know where you want your life to be. You know the destination, but you're not sure what steps to take to get there. I'd say out of the 28 people in this mastermind, a good 10 or 15 have already changed their life in major ways. And part of the reason they've done that is because we now are all accountable to each other. That's earnandinvest.com slash mastermind for the Wealth With Purpose Mastermind. As you guys heard in the last episode, and you can see on Facebook and in social media, I've also started a coaching practice. This is the Path to Purpose coaching practice. This is for people who feel really stuck, that they're having anxiety about purpose, and they don't know where to go or what to do next. One-on-one coaching, that's earnandinvest.com slash coaching. Again, earnandinvest.com slash coaching. And last but not least, if you want to be part of our community, hit us up. The best place to do that is Facebook, earnandinvest.com slash Facebook. This is where we're having those deeper, richer conversations. So if you want to know what I'm up to, if you want to be part of this community, earnandinvest.com, that's the podcast, earnandinvest.com slash Substack. That is the new blog, The Purpose Code, about the intersection of purpose and money. Earnandinvest.com slash Mastermind. That's the Wealth with Purpose Mastermind. Earnandinvest.com slash Coaching. That is the Path to Purpose Coaching Program. And last but not least, check us out on Facebook, earnandinvest.com slash Facebook. I would love, love, love to interact with all of you in one of these places. Uh, all right. I keep things running just for a few minutes to catch the after show. Uh, that was a lot of fun. I mean, that was a lot of fun. It's we're finally to this point where we have people who've been doing this long enough. Yep. Where people can't say, oh, you know, they're all going to go broke in a few years and they're all going to yep. be back to work. And then we have people like you and like people like Doug Nordman and Jail Collins, people who've now been doing it for long enough. It's like, no, 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 this actually works. Yeah. Um, and and it, what's it, great it, it, about it, you guys is you're younger than Doug Nordman and Jail Collins. And in a sense, right. it means that, no, you can do this when you're young, too. Yeah. And uh, not only that, not only does it seem to uh, not only does it seem to work. It seems to work enormously well. Like uh, we have this, like just as a way of uh, keeping the, our, our finances transparent, we split our investments into what we call portfolio A, which is the initial investment portfolio that we retired with, and then everything that we earned afterwards, we put into a separate margin account, or sorry, a separate trading account called portfolio B, just so that we can, just so that we can like show prove like, if we, <laughs> if we prove. didn't have, yeah, to prove. If we didn't have this portfolio, we would portfolio A have collapsed. And the thing is, portfolio A is still like 1.4 million or something like that. So it's still growing. And even if I didn't do any of this other stuff, it would have been um, it would have been just fine. So not only does not only does the four percent rule work, it works enormously. It's enormously successful. And um, the fact that most people don't know about this and are still like. You know, they're still arguing about like whether it's going to work. Should it be four percent? Should it be three percent? Should it be two percent? I think I think Financial Samurai at one point argued it should be the one percent rule, and I'm like, dude. <laughs> well, that's just Sam. Right. That's just Sam. Just, that's just Sam. Sam. Sam is the um, Sam is the penultimate shit, shit. He's a shit disturber. Which is, you know, that's his thing, right? Um, 
but I just like, yeah, not like it probably could have been, it, it probably could have been five or 6% uh, withdrawal rate. As long as you control your spending, all the rest of it, um, all the rest of it's just easy. But the problem is most people don't even know how much they spend, let alone being able to control yeah. it. I, I think it's interesting whenever we meet people from like the expat community or from like digital nomad community, and then you kind of tell them like how much you live on. I, I didn't go through the whole song and dance about the fire thing because I didn't want it. It's just like too confusing for them. So I just kind of tell them like, oh, you know, living on this much and how much you guys live on and just talking about expenses. They're like not surprised at all. And they're just like, yeah, yeah, living on 40 grand. Yeah, that's totally reasonable. Yeah, you can do do less than that. But if you go home and you try to talk to people in North America, they're just like, you can't live on less than 100 grand. Like 100 grand is bare minimum for me to be comfortable and survive. I'm like, dude, like, and not all of them live in New York, LA and um, San Francisco. Like not all of them are in expensive places. They all just think that you need 100,000 in order to be comfortable. It's because the States is so expensive that they just like they're in this bubble and they just don't see anything outside of that bubble right so they don't know what it's like to live in another country and the news makes it scary so that they think that only their city is safe and everywhere else is a war zone yeah i love that mentality when you get trapped into the nine to five life it gets exceedingly expensive like and the minute you can step out of that, it changes, right? So you get stuck living in a certain location and then you buy a house and then you have to pay property taxes and then your kids have to go to school and then your kids need this and your kids yeah. need that and blah, blah, blah. And before you know it, like you're paying lots and lots and lots of money. But again, the truth of the matter is once you can step out of that paradigm, it changes you know, a hundred percent because all of a sudden you have so much more control. You don't have to, you don't have to pay for the nice shoes and the nice suit. Cause you're not going into the office. You don't have to pay for the, you know, three or two nice cars because, you know, you can take public transportation or you're moving across the world, much less across, you know, your city, et cetera. People are so terrified to step out of that paradigm though. Yeah. So terrified. They're like, Oh, I can't even move my kids to another city because how will they function? I'm like, are you serious? Like you just plan to buy this house, your kids go to school there and then just die on that in that exact same house for the next 40 years. Really? Like, I like, I find that, I, I find that decision making scary, actually. Anybody that's lived in the same house for 40 years, but like one person, your grandmother, that's it. Yeah. I've, but, you, so I've lived in the same house for 21 years. Oh, okay. So <laughs> we moved here and I have to, so the other side of that is there's, there is like, this is the home I brought my children home to from the hospital. Like there is a lot of love and comfort and safety and all those kind of things here. But, but like that doesn't prohibit me from doing all these other things and traveling and going, et cetera. I happen to, but, and, and that doesn't necessarily, but I also bought my house 20 years ago. So it's not particularly expensive for me now. I guess the property tax, property taxes are very expensive, but everything else is pretty easy for us. Yeah. But so there are people, but, and there, there are people who love and have, are proud to be in the same place, et cetera. So it's not a hundred percent, but it can be very limiting. It is very limiting. I mean, it's fine. Like it's fine if that's the life that you want, but don't go telling other people that your like life, your way of living is the only way to live. And it's the right way to live. And everything else is wrong. I'm like, well, but it's like, <laughs> I use this analogy. It's like, it's like a teenage girl having sex with one guy and going, this is the biggest penis I've ever seen in my life. There's no other penis. I'm like, <laughs> well, Chrissy, why does your mind go to that bad example? <laughs> because it's her. Because it's me. Because it's her. That this is not making it into the podcast. Uh, but uh, uh, who says it's not making? Of course, it's making it into the podcast. Gosh damn it! <laughs> okay, so, of the year. Apparently, 
we're 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 working on our nomination speech. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, the the weirdest thing about that is that okay, if they, if they choose that lifestyle and they're happy about it, that's great. But when they like complain incessantly about that, yes, for is, sure. That's when I go, hey, can you try this? Can you try this? And they go, no, that'll never work. I'm like, okay, if you're unhappy, try literally anything else, right? But they 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 just won't. And I'll go like, but I find with the decision making that they make uh, quite scary too. Just the amount of debt, the amount of debt that the average person is oh, in, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, especially with um, especially with mortgages. Uh, I've never carried debt at all, like ever, right? Because I find even like like even a thousand dollars of debt scary because I can't control it. it. Like you, like I like all this, like this external factor that hit the interest rates and there's like your bank has control over you and like all this kind of stuff. And as we've seen over the past year, when you have a lot of debt, it can go bad for you really, very fast. And in a way that you really can't control uh, all the people now that are back home that uh, are complaining about, especially in Canada, because our, our mortgages reset every five years, not like, you know, they're not like fixed 30 year mortgage yeah. like yours. Mm -hmm. So, Everybody uh, back home is stressed out right now, but I'm. But whenever they complain to me, I'm like, I told you what to do. I, I literally wrote a book. I've literally been saying the same thing for ten years, and you chose not to listen. And especially for people who actually know me, right? And it's kind of like you, you know what I've been doing. You, you know the material that I write. Uh, like I, I literally just I I told it. you everything. Say, I don't want to hear it. Like, like, what do you want? Like, what do you want? Right? And they're like, well, how do I get out of it now? You can't. You're, like, <laughs> you're fucked. Like, you're fucked. You're fucked. That, that being said, there was a new development that was very interesting in that his boss from his last job actually is retiring at the end of this month. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So you have had effect on other people. And, yeah. Right. And he was the one yeah. that was most gung ho about because Bryce didn't hate his job. He actually <clears throat> enjoyed it. And his boss was always like, you know, this is the best job ever. You'll never find another job that's better than this. And now that job has changed because it got bought out. The company got bought out. Uh, yeah. And now it's complete shit. And his, his boss went from the biggest fanboy ever of that job to it is now a dumpster fire and everybody should get out. Yeah. 